Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, open our hearts now to receive the word you intended us to receive when you wrote this book, in Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and I will make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sychem, unto the plain of Moray, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord, who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, and having Bethel on the west, and Ai on the east. And there builded he, there he built an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed, going on still south toward the south. And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt, to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass when he has come near to enter into Egypt that he said unto Sarai, his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, for my, for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass that when Abram was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair. The princess also of Pharaoh saw her, commended her before Pharaoh. The woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and he entreated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep, oxen, he asses, men servants, maid servants, she asses, camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this? that thou hast done unto me. Why dost thou not tell me she is thy wife? Why hast thou, why saidst thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to me to wife. Now therefore, behold thy wife, take her, go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. Now, when we look at this, when we look at this passage here, and by the way, I'd like to call this passage here, this, in fact, all of the books of Moses, the gospel according to Moses. Why? Why say something like this? Well, there are four books in the New Testament. There are the gospels, the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Mark, the gospel of Luke and John. And the central theme of the gospel is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, 
if, if, if these books existed when the Lord Jesus lived, which they did not, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he would have said, he would have said, those books spoke of me. They spoke of me. But the books of, of Moses did exist when the Lord Jesus lived. And he said in John 5.46, John 5.46, had you believe, believed Moses, you would have believed me. For he wrote of me. He wrote of me. Moses wrote of me. In addition to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have the gospel according to Moses. So in the gospel here, according to Moses, we have this now particular period in Abraham's life. This is a dark period in Abraham's life. It is a time of Abraham's failure. This is a time of Abraham's failure and a time of Abraham's recovery. As a matter of fact, this history here, it's like a symphony. It's like a symphony with four movements. First movement, Abraham's greatness. Second movement, Abraham's failure. Third movement, Abraham's feeling of loss. Fourth and final movement, Abraham's recovery. Now, start the first movement. When we look at the, the greatness of Abraham, the first thing that comes to our mind is faith, his belief. This is how scriptures hold out Abraham to us in his life. He had an unusual faith, and Abraham had this unusual confidence in God. It was this confidence that we see in Abraham that was so outstanding. And when God made a promise to Abraham, Abraham just believed. He just believed God. Abraham didn't wonder, now how is God going to do that? How is he going to accomplish that? He didn't wonder that. Abraham didn't argue or question with God. Abraham didn't didn't go and ask other people what they thought that how God could make good on his promise. Abraham just believed God, and that's what made Abraham great. And it didn't matter to Abraham how outlandish or how unlikely the promise was that God made to Abraham. Abraham just believed God. That's all. And that was the exceptional quality in Abraham that made him so great. It was Abraham's faith. When God made a promise to Abraham, Abraham wasn't surprised. He wasn't taken back. And there are two words that are used in the book of Romans to express this about how Abraham was not shocked by what God promised him. And 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 those two words are found in Romans 4.16. Romans 4.16 through 22 where it says, the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he might be the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was imputed unto him for righteousness. See, in those verses there, Abraham knew what he was hearing from God. He was hearing that God who raises to life from the dead calls into things that be when they're not. That's creation. That's creation. And the greatness of Abraham is seen in these verses where it says that Abraham was great because 
He hoped, he believed in hope when it was against believing in hope. That's like Abraham was standing in a river with a strong current and he stood firm in the force of the current. And the strong current was like unbelief and it pushed on Abraham and the force of the current in the river was saying, God can't do that, God can't do that. But Abraham held on to his hope. He stood firm in that river. And that's what made Abraham great because he wasn't weak in faith. When Abraham was pushing a 100 years old, and God promised, you're going to have a baby. Abraham was great because Abraham didn't consider his own body. He didn't consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. Abraham was great because he just considered God made that promise, God who calls the dead to life. And he was great because he actually went one step further than that. When God told him he was going to have a baby, he started to have a baby shower, almost like you could say. He gave glory to God. He gave glory to God for the baby that he was going to have. He was strong in faith. And these two words in this passage in Roman that really bring it out are the words staggered not. You know, when he heard he's going to have a baby, he didn't go, like, whoa, lose his footing there. No, he's staggered not. He didn't say to God, he didn't say, excuse me. He didn't say to God, are you kidding me? You can't be serious. He didn't do that. He just gave thanks and glory to God for the coming baby. And those are the two words. You want two words to describe Abraham's faith, staggered not. He was fully persuaded that God was able to do this. And Abraham was great because he had this great faith. And faith, by the way, means absolutely nothing if there's no obedience. Faith means nothing if there's no obedience, as James put it in James 2.20. Faith without works is, say it, dead. It's dead. It's dead. Abraham had a type of belief that behaves. He had a belief that behaves. He obeyed. Here's a little poem. Here's a little poem. Let it be seen that with thee I have been, Jesus, my Lord and my Savior. Let it be known that I'm truly thine own by all my speech and behavior. That was Abraham. He had a belief that behaves. The greatness of his faith was seen when he was called to leave his familiar home, his familiar people, his familiar country, the familiar landscape, as it says in Hebrews 11.8. Hebrews 11.8, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place where he should after receive for inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. Imagine that. If you asked Abraham, when he was called to leave his home in the Ur of the Chaldees. Abraham, where are you going? So where are you going, Abraham? Abraham replied, I'm going to where God's calling me to go. So Abraham, exactly where is that? Where is that that God's calling? Abraham would reply, I don't know where that is. He'd say, well, Abraham, if you don't know where you're going, how are you going to know when you get there? (laughs) And Abraham would reply, God who called me to leave and I'll start walking, he's going to tell me when I get there. That's the faith that obeys. That's the faith that obeys. That's the reason why Abraham was so great, because he's called the father of faith. He's the father of us all as believers. He's our father as believers. He was also great because Abraham had this intense love for God. He loved God dearly. Abraham loved God so much that God said, Abraham, he's my friend. He said that in Isaiah 41.8, Isaiah 41.8, but thou Israel art my servant, Jacob who I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. 
There can be no greater statement, no greater statement made to any person than for God to say, he's my friend, he's my friend. Abraham could put on his tombstone, the friend of God. And that's exactly what God said about Abraham, that Abraham was God's friend. Abraham was also great because in addition to his faith, in addition to his love for God, he was a friend of God. In addition to that, Abraham held his household, his family under control. They were under control. This is what God said he knew about Abraham in Genesis 18, 19. Genesis 18, 19, when God said about Abraham, for I know him that he will command his children and his household after him that they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken. As long as anyone lived under Abraham's roof or tent, Abraham held control over them that they were going to obey God. Abraham was not loose and tolerant with his household when it came to obeying God. Now, when they left Abraham's house, they were on their own, like Ishmael. When he left Abraham's house, he didn't live for God. But when Ishmael lived under Abraham's roof, Ishmael obeyed God because Abraham made him. So Abraham was great because he had this exceptional faith. He had this exceptional, unusual confidence in God. He just believed God. He didn't question. Abraham was great because he obeyed God. Abraham was great because he loved God. He was a friend of God. Abraham was great because he kept his household under control and made sure that everyone who lived in his house obeyed God. So finishes the first movement in this symphony of Abraham's failure and recovery, the greatness, Abraham's greatness. Now, in spite of how great Abraham was, there came a moment, there came a period, there came a time in Abraham's life in which his faith failed. And that's what we want to investigate now. We want to see why. Why did Abraham's faith fail And we could say today, if Abraham was here, if Abraham could get up at this meeting right now and give us the history, if he would give us his autobiography, he would tell us about his life right now. And I just sat down and Abraham got up here and he told his story. When he gets to this part, when he got to this part about Egypt, Abraham would hang his head. He would hang his head. There would be shame in his head. And he would tell us that, This is the period of life when my faith failed and I went down to Egypt. And as Abraham would tell us what happened, Abraham explained to us that, you know, the root problem, he would say, was that I took my eyes off of God, just like we've been singing about in these hymns, since I placed my eyes on Jesus. He says, I took my eyes off of God. I put my eyes on myself and on my problems and then, and then, and then Abraham might ask everyone in this room to raise their hand if they've ever taken their eyes off of God and, 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 and put them on himself. And then he would say, then you know what I'm talking about. And if we were honest, every hand would go up. And, and Abraham would say, okay, you know what I mean. And Abraham would tell us that, look, I was a shepherd. I was a shepherd. And in obedience to God, it's true. I left Ur of the Chaldees and I came to the land of promise. I came to Canaan. And Abraham would tell us that when I got to Canaan, Canaan was a beautiful land. Oh, it was so beautiful. He would say it was lush hillsides. Animals did so well in Canaan. But Canaan is like San Diego County. 
It's great as long as it rains. But if it doesn't rain, you'll be paying a high water bill. And when there's no rain, when there's no rain, Canaan is just like here. It doesn't, it, it, there, and there, it only, it doesn't have any sprinklers in Canaan. So the green hills do what they do off of Highway 94 in the backcountry there. They first turn brown, and then they turn white and yellow, and the vegetations die, and the crops die, and the animals have no grazing. That's just what happened to Abraham and Canaan. It was a famine in the land, a famine in the land. That's just what happened in Canaan, a famine in the land. Abraham would go out every day during this famine, and he would watch his livestock get thinner and thinner. He would watch his sheep nuzzle farther and farther, deeper and deeper into the dust, looking for maybe that little root, that little green root. And he would see them struggle to eat, and the land just turned to dust. And then Abraham would watch after, as one animal after another just fell down and died for lack of food. There was nothing Abraham could do. And as Abraham watched this, his heart would quake, his heart would tremble with this haunting thought of, what will I ever do, and what is going to happen to me? And then Abraham would in shame tell us that when he took his eyes off God and put his eyes on his problems, and if we asked him, Abraham, how could you do that? How could you do that? Abraham would say that, look, I just was so overwhelmed by the famine that it was just all I could think about. Abraham would say, I know I should have remembered how God provided for me when I left Ur of the Chaldean. I walked out into that desert and how God took care of me. I should have remembered that my God is the one who prepares a table in the wilderness. But I just selectively forgot about it all as I just feared this famine. And then Abraham would say, I decided to leave Canaan. The land of promise, I decided I've got to go down to Egypt. Now, Egypt in the Bible is always a symbol of the world. Egypt is a symbol of the world. Egypt was a place of great plenty. There was so much food in Egypt. Why? Because of the Nile River. The Nile is an unusual river. It's not just a river that's flowing through like we have rivers here. This is a very unusual river. Why? Because of where it starts. The Nile starts in two places in Africa. It starts in the center of Africa in Tanzania at Lake Victoria. That's, a, that, 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 that's one part of the Nile River. There are two Niles that actually come together. And the other one starts in Ethiopia. Actually, the White Nile starts in Tanzania at, the lake, at lake Victoria. It flows north. And the Blue Nile starts in the mountains around Gondar uh, in Ethiopia. That's the Blue Nile. And these two, these two Niles converge together to form the great Nile that flows into Egypt, and that Nile overflows its banks. When Ethiopia gets, in their rainy season, 80 inches of rain in the season, I've been there. <laughs> There's more rain coming out of the sky than I can make come out of my showerhead there. When that, when that rain comes, that Nile swells and it overflows in Egypt. Now, what's so, in, so important about it is that as the Nile is flowing through Africa, it's collecting all the nutrients in these deserts that it's flowing through. It's collecting them. And as it collects them, all these life-giving nutrients, it comes into Egypt. And it comes into Egypt and it just deposits not only the water, but these terrific, it's miracle grow water 
<laughs> that comes into, into Egypt there. That's the Nile. But, and that's why Egypt has so much food. But Egypt is also a place of great treasures. Today, the treasures of Egypt are spread all over the, the world in different, different, different museums. But we still can see the Sphinx. We still can see the jewels in the tombs of the pharaohs. And all of that just speaks of the wealth and the richness of the country of Egypt. But Egypt was also one other thing. Egypt was a place of gross immorality. And we can, and it's always been that way. Cleopatra always been that way through the dynasties, dynasties there. We can always see that. And, and we see that also from Abraham's fear. He was afraid that the beauty of his wife would be seen and she would be desired. And Abraham felt that he would just be killed so that Sarah could be sexually taken. Now, we can see what is what Egypt was life in the life of Moses when it says in Hebrews 11.24, Hebrews 11.24, by faith Moses, when he was in Egypt, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season Esteeming the riches, the esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of reward. Those verses speak volumes. Those verses tell us Moses had a great choice to make, but they show us what, what Moses was faced with. We see that first of all in Hebrews 11.26, Hebrews 11.26, it says, it speaks about, it speaks about there the, the treasures in Egypt. And, and also it speaks in the Hebrews 11, 25 about the immorality. Enjoy the pleasures of sin. Egypt was a land of enjoying pleasures of sin. It wasn't sin city. It was sin country. And it says that the pleasures of sin are for a season, but they're still pleasurable for a season. Everybody knew this about Egypt. And so Egypt was like a, a, a voice that called out. It was like a voice of a woman that called out in Proverbs 9.13. Egypt is like Proverbs 9.13 voice. It says, in Proverbs 9.13 says, A foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple, knoweth nothing. She sitteth at the door of her house on a seat in the high places to call passengers who go right on their ways. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. As for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Stolen waters are sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. He knoweth not that the dead are there and her guests are in the depths of hell. This is what Moses was faced with. Moses heard this voice. He lived in that voice. And he was faced with having to make a choice between holding to his heart all the treasures, all the pleasures of sin that were in Egypt. But Moses chose to forsake it all in Egypt so that he could be with the people of God in the desert. And that's why Egypt is like the world with all of its gold, with all of its pleasures of sin. And boy, does the devil know how to make gold glitter. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. 
You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Do you have fatigue or trouble getting out of bed or just getting through the day? Are you so tired you can't focus? Do you feel like your life is drained away? Do you have fibromyalgia headaches? I have good news for you. Our doctors at Scanabody's Imaging and Therapy can give you cellular ozone therapy. Why not get your energy back now by calling us at 1-888-529-9016 or visit us at treatmyfatigue.com. 